So Galatians, uh, we're, if you're new to Wednesday nights, we've been going through, we do, we, we tackled this about a year ago, or it seems like a year, maybe over, uh, one book a night, or one book a week, I guess, yeah. So one Wednesday night, so whoever got Psalms, that was really fun uh, to cover all of that in one night. Uh, Galatians is not too bad, but some of those big books, it's, it's really tough to do a survey. So like in anything, I'm not going to cover every verse in that book because we would need to be here longer than an hour, and I don't, I don't think y'all want to do that. So it's just a survey. It's just looking at the highlights. You're doing a flyover 30,000 feet above it. You're not getting bogged down in trees, okay? So uh, that's kind of a backdrop of what we're doing. Uh, Galatians, and just some general things here in the beginning that before we look at some of the key themes in the book... Uh, uh, open your Bibles to the book of Galatians if you're not sure where that is. Uh, New Testament, uh, get past Acts and Romans, and then you're going to get to his Paul's smaller letters. And uh, yeah, First, Second Corinthians, and then Galatians, right before Ephesians. So there it is. Um, who wrote the book of Galatians? There's really no uh, discrepancy or fight over who wrote it. I think it's pretty much Paul. Uh, it says in verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul, an apostle, uh, uh, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul says, here I am writing you this letter. He addresses it to a group. Uh, Galatia, the, the region of Galatia is a region of cities or a region of churches. Uh, and he's writing this letter. And then the discrepancy with Galatians is the when it was written. Uh, there's two kind of different theories out there. And again, not to get bogged down, but uh, one theory is called maybe the North Galatian theory or the, uh, the graphical view. And it says it was written about A.D. 55, so 55 years after the birth of Christ. Uh, and if they hold to that view, Paul was writing from Ephesus. Uh, sometime, and it's mentioned sometime in Paul's journey in, 19, in Acts 19.1, that's when they think that he wrote this book to the, the region of Galatia. The other view is the Southern Galatian theory, or maybe that he wrote it more to these southern cities. Uh, and if that's the case, it was a little bit earlier, A.D. 47 or 49. And it, it, Paul was in his, one of his earlier missionary journeys, and he's in Antioch writing, and it's Acts 15 that he's writing. I don't think we need to fight about which one it was, or really that it matters, but uh, some people love to fight, and uh, I'd probably go with uh, it was written in the, the, the latter date, because he's going to reference in this letter, he's going to reference the Acts 15, where they're, they're having this big conference in Jerusalem, and they're determining if Gentiles that are saved, do they have to go through the, uh, the Jewish rituals and all that to be determined if they're saved or not. So he references that, so I think probably it's the latter date. Um, so there's kind of the, the overview that the problem or the issue in why he writes the letter to this region of people, the churches he started in the region of Galatia, is there's a heresy going on. And he's, he's heard about it. And uh, of course, like any other place, like in Corinth and other places where the church is not doing what it's supposed to be doing, uh, if he starts the church, he really wants to... Uh, he wants to make sure the church gets right on And we have to remember, they don't have the New Testament letters. All they had was the Old Testament at this time. So they couldn't say, oh yeah, turn to the gospel and look at what Jesus did. Well, that hasn't been all written at this point. 
So he's writing these letters to correct things that are happening in the church. And uh, uh, look at verse 2. Uh, and all, he writes to all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Again, he's writing to this region. Then he starts in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the gospel had gone out to these churches. They're on fire. They're, uh, they all believe kind of the same thing. They're, they're, they're growing in, in their understanding. These synagogues are growing in, in, in their understanding of what God wants them to do and how they can follow him. Follow him. Uh, and then at some point, these Jews that are not really from there come into these churches and they stir up some trouble and they start teaching some heresy. It's <laughs> actually what it is. A little bit about heresy that we'll need to know, and we'll, we'll deal with this in the New Testament letters as we get to it, but there were basically two heresies that were a problem in the New Testament. We could say there's probably several heresies nowadays, but there were basically two back then when Paul was writing to these churches. The first one is referenced in 1 John. You don't have to turn to the letter of 1 John, but it's called docetic Gnosticism. That's a big word. I went to seminary, so I learned how to say that right. I don't know what it means. No, I'm just joking. Uh, but uh, docetic Gnosticism, uh, it, it, you, you seem to have a knowledge. Uh, this, uh, anything that that heresy taught is the, the, the physical life is, is really bad. Everything with your physical life, your flesh, everything of that is bad. And so whatever you did in the world doesn't really matter. Now, there are people today that kind of live that way. <laughs> But uh, they wouldn't call it docetic Gnosticism. Um, so because the flesh and everything physical is bad, Jesus could not have literally come and took on flesh. Now, you see how that's a heresy, okay? If he wasn't born of the Virgin Mary, if he didn't take on flesh, uh, then he's fully God, but he's not fully man. That's a problem. Then how did he die for all of man's sin if he wasn't any bit man? He had no physical entity to him. So that was the first heresy or one of the heresies, but one of the two. Um, the other one is the one that we're going to find here in Galatians and other New Testament letters as well. Uh, they all kind of believe the same belief. You embrace Christ. You put your faith and trust in Christ. You're saved. Okay? Uh, and you're then a Christian. You're a Christ follower. These Jewish Christians come in, and they, uh, they kind of get this new new problem going, this, this heresy. And the heresy is the Judaizers, is what Judaizers. Um, they come in and they say, okay, you're, you believe in Christ, you put your faith in Christ, you want to follow Christ, then you have to do this and this and this, which are all the Jewish things that in the Old Testament they said you had to do, which one of which was circumcision for all the males. You have to do that or you cannot be considered saved. So for all the Gentiles, that's a big problem. <laughs> so, and, and Paul's going to take a, a huge stance against that uh, because, you know, Jew or Gentile, it had already been determined in Acts 15, they had this huge council in Jerusalem, and, they were, and all the apostles that were still alive at that time, they gather and they say, what are we going to do about this? The Gentiles that are getting saved, do or don't they have to be circumcised? Do or don't they have to follow all the Old Testament Jewish laws we had? Big issue, it was resolved, and they said, no, they don't. 
But here are these Judaizers that say in this church, in the region, the Galatian churches, that yes, indeed, they have to be. So it's a heresy. It's, it's false. It's not true. They're adding on your faith in Jesus Christ. If you believe he died and rose again, that's not enough. You still have to do these works. You have to, we got to tag something else on to the gospel message, and you have to do whatever it is in order for us to say, yes, you are now a Christian. So that was a big hindrance to people following God. It was a hindrance to the, the church growing, and it was just heresy. It wasn't biblical. And Paul's going to reference that throughout his letters. That's his main reason for writing this book. Uh, so he launches right in. He says, in verse 3, he says, grace to you and peace from God, and he says all that stuff. But I said two weeks ago, whether you're here or not, it doesn't matter. But First Corinthians, uh, he starts his, most of his letters, he does a huge thank you. I'm so grateful for y'all. And then, you know, as the letter goes on, he's like, y'all are screwing this up and y'all are messing this up. He does some doctrine, then he does some application. But he always starts it off, generally he starts it off, not always, not this letter, which I'm very grateful for you. There's no mention of thanksgiving or gratefulness from Paul in his introduction of this letter. Why not? Well, he kind of goes into it in verse 6. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. I marvel is, I'm reading the New King James. Uh, I I am amazed, I am astonished, I am stunned, I can't believe y'all are turning from the gospel that Jesus Christ saved you and now y'all have added to it. Okay? It's what Paul's saying. But we say that and we say, I marvel, I'm not talking about the Marvel movies here, but I'm amazed or I'm astonished. Uh, Even astonished doesn't give you the, the full grasp of what he's saying here and why he's not so thankful for these churches right now. So I think that the word marvel or astonished, uh, the thomazo is the Greek word. Uh, let, me, let me illustrate it like this. So suppose, and I'm just going to pick a random team, Texas A&M. Suppose Texas A&M, it's where I went to school, one of the places I went to school, but uh, suppose that they have an undefeated season and they played Alabama and they, oh, the Moors are not here, so this is great. Uh, they, they beat Alabama 73-3, to whoop, and, uh, and they go on, and they go to the playoffs, and then they, they, get the, they, win, they beat Ohio State, and then, of course, you've got to face Clemson in the final game, and they win all the games. If that happened, for any of the team you want to fill in what the team is, you would be astonished, blown away, to the extent that Paul is blown away that they're turning away from the gospel that they have. He cannot believe that they're doing that. So, there's the idea of the shock, amazement, disbelief of what these new Christians are doing. And they've fallen for this heresy. So, he goes on into verse 8 and verse 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. That is some strong language from Paul. He's not mincing words here. He is going, he's shooting straight, okay? Uh, This same word in the Hebrew in the Old Testament is the same word that was used uh, for the condemnation of the Canaanites. Um, 
If they're going to go for some other gospel added to the gospel and faith in Jesus Christ and his shed blood is not enough, they're accursed. Okay? Um, if anyone comes along and offers a different gospel beyond the blood of Christ, they're worthy of destruction, is what Paul would say here. Strong, strong statement. So Paul is astonished, he's stunned, he's amazed, he's, he marvels at what happens. Why is he so disrupted by what they have done? Go on to verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For, neither, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you remember that, you know, uh, before the revelation of Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road, what was Paul doing, or Saul doing? Saul is rounding up the Christians and killing them. Okay, he was the uh, he he was he was the guy that would, you know, he was as much against this Christianity as you could possibly be. But yet, Jesus Christ reveals Himself on that road, the bright light. He's blinded for a period of time, and then it totally changes his life. And now he goes from Saul to Paul, and next thing you know, he's the greatest missionary uh, ever. So he has this huge change in his life. And his response to the gospel message, which he grew up with all the Jewish things, and all, I mean, he's a Pharisee. He knows it all, even born in a province of Rome and Tarsus, but he, he knew all the things in the Old Testament that you were supposed to do. Most of it probably memorized. But he's not the one saying, come, come here and you've got to follow all the Jewish customs and all the things of the Old Testament. No, he said, if you experience Jesus Christ, you put your faith in him, you believe who he is and what he did, and he's resurrected, you put your trust in him, then you're saved. You don't have to do the other, the other stuff. That is the gospel message, and that is enough. Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. Anyone puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he or she can be saved. So he's astonished that these people experience the grace of Jesus Christ, the love, the relationship they can have with him, but yet they have the other reaction. Somehow they've been uh, convinced that we still need to do all the things we backed in the day. And everyone else needs to yield to what we think that is. Now we bash on the Jews and we bash on them for thinking that, but uh, is it not easy for us to think my conversion experience, sometimes we add on to things that it has to be this way and done at that camp and it has to be confessed and you have to come down the aisle and sing just as I am six stanzas and you have to, and if you don't have that experience, then you weren't saved. Well, be careful with that. It's a slippery slope. The Bible is very clear. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, trust in God, put your faith in him and what he did, that he died for your sin, now, sin is a big issue. You have to realize that I'm a sinner in needing of a Savior. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Scripture says he comes in and saves you. The Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, enters into your life and starts changing you. And you are a child of God at that point. So he's just blown away. He's astonished that they experienced that same Jesus Christ, yet they went to all these things. We went, we went backwards instead of going forwards which is kind of a thing of human nature. We like to do that. We like to do what we're comfortable with. Um, so for the Jews, and even to this day, they, 
back then, they, they never liked Paul because, yeah, Paul, you, uh, you're rocking the boat, man. You're trying to get all these people that are not Jews to accept this Messiah, and we don't even, we crucified that Messiah. So there's always this problem with the Jews not accepting that Jesus was the Messiah, much less uh, that anyone can accept his free gift of grace and salvation. So he doesn't understand why they have done that, and he's going to have some harsh words from them. Paul, when he had his experience with Jesus Christ, he made a huge shift from legalism, of Judaism. Uh, he went immediately towards freedom or liberty uh, by the grace of Jesus Christ. You, we need to understand there, there's going by the law, and then there's the grace. Now, Jesus didn't come. This is a slippery slope. Oh, I don't need the law anymore, the Old Testament. I'm just living in the New Testament, right? That's not good. Jesus was Jesus Christ said, I came to fulfill the Old Testament, not to abolish it. Uh, There's plenty of good things in the Old Testament that we should live by. But the law, um, the law points you, or anyway, just the Ten Commandments. You're going to say there's lots of other laws, but just the Ten Commandments. How many of y'all violated the Ten Commandments today? Raise your hand. Probably. Probably. If I said list the Ten Commandments, or could y'all do that? But that was another lesson in Sunday school. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, um, yeah, don't lie. Uh, there's some other ones in there. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't ever miss the Sabbath. Make it holy. Uh, don't have any other gods before me. Okay, I named a few, okay? Uh, I think murder, we're probably good on that, although Jesus said if you have anger in your heart towards anyone, it's as if you murdered them. So Jesus upped the ante a little bit on that. The law always says, I fall short. It's like looking in the mirror, okay? If I look in the mirror and I see dirt on my face, well, I wouldn't see the dirt on my face if I hadn't looked in the mirror, where the law is the mirror that shows you got some dirt on your face. You're not going to measure up to the law. You're not going to be able to uh, be a good enough person, do enough works, whatever. And this is why Christianity is not a works, it should not be a works-oriented religion. It can't be. Which there are a lot of religions that are works-oriented based. You will never measure up to the bar that is the Old Testament law. Paul couldn't do it, and he was a Pharisee. He, he was much better at studying and knowing everything than we were. The more we look at the law, the more we realize, I need a Savior that can be perfect with the law and pay the price that I needed to pay for my sin. The law simply points us that we have sin, and we fall short of God's holy standard. So, and chapter 1. In chapter 2, you're going to see this council in Jerusalem. They're having this issue about Jews and Gentiles if they're getting saved. Do we need to have the Jewish customs followed by the new saved uh, Gentiles? So he's going to start in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 2. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. I went up, I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Paul shows up with all the other apostles that are there, and they're having this uh, debate about uh, what are we going to do? How do you balance faith with keeping the law? How do you balance free grace with uh, works-oriented obeying the law? Gentiles and Jews. What are we going to do about this? So this was the big issue right then. Um. Look at verse 3. And so he brings, it, he brings that up. Oh, I missed something. I'm sorry. Uh, 
Yeah, so look at verse 20. Go ahead to uh, verse 20 of chapter 2. A great verse that probably many of us could quote. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. Huh. I'm sorry, I just had a, just a random thought. Sometimes that happens when you're teaching or preaching. But uh, Crucified with Christ, that was a song by Phyllis Craig and Dean. And, um, last time I, 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 I sang it several times with my other two brothers and my dad. And the last time I sang that song was at my granddad's funeral. So I'm getting a little verklempt here. Sorry about that. But uh, it's great to sing scripture because <laughs> you're like, man, that was scriptural. Yeah, sure enough. I have been crucified with Christ no longer. A great verse that Paul says here, um, Christ lives in me. Uh, and that is key to understand. Uh, but these Judaizers have, have come into the church. They have led them away from the gospel message uh, and and they're, they're trying to get them back into the law. Jesus Christ fully fulfilled. He was perfectly, he never sinned, even when the devil himself tried to tempt him and with all these things, never sinned. He fulfilled the law, uh, and we can never do that. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. So then on to, uh, to chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Oh, foolish Galatians. Again, he's not really hiding back any what he really thinks. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That's a key question. (laughs) Did obeying the law, is that how you were saved by the Spirit? Did the Spirit enter you because of your faith or was it by anything you did? That's another way he could say it. It's not by works you are saved, lest any man should boast. He'll say that in Ephesians later. This is probably one of Paul's earliest letters he wrote. So Ephesians is not around. The letter to the Ephesians is not around yet at this point. But you can see his, he's, he's making this, this huge claim. He's going it over and over again. You know, who, who saved you? Was it the law or was it your faith and trust in what God did, what Jesus Christ did? You weren't saved by the law. It didn't save you. Uh, 2.20 could be well a reference to Romans 6. Uh, we're in chapter 3, though, already. Uh, so he doesn't want them to be foolish. Uh, then I'm going to f- uh, fast forward a little bit to chapter 5. I know I'm skipping some verses. I'm aware of this. He's going to talk about walking in the Spirit versus living in the flesh. Uh, a big theme that Paul brings up quite often. He says in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Walk in the Spirit, do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you walk in that, he's going to later, he's going to list what this flesh living is or what he's going to describe it better. And he's going to describe what walking in the spirit is, that you're going to exhibit some sort of fruit of the spirit. And he's going to list those qualities as well. 
The key thing is verse 16, I think. He says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In the Greek, he uses a double negative there. When he uses a double negative, he's, he's emphasizing something. What he's emphasizing, if you looked at the Greek, and I'm not going to look at the Greek, but it's one or the other. You can't walk in the Spirit and fulfill the lust of the flesh at the same time. If you're walking in the Spirit, it is impossible to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay? So that is some strong language. So if you take that argument, then in his verses 19, when he starts describing uh, the flesh and things of living in the flesh, uh, now the works of flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. We would all say, yeah, sorcery. Sorcery should be on there. Yeah, that's not good. Harry Potter should not be on there. Yeah, that's not good. Uh, Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, Judaizers, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. It's quite an exhaustive list there. Uh, So all of those, such things, and then the strongest words he's going to say that people can get caught on this and don't get, I'm going to explain in a minute, but uh, I told you that time passed that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're like, yes, Paul, get them, right? Then when you look at that list, how many of those things have I struggled with and you struggle with? If we're honest. You ever had dissension? You ever believe something you shouldn't? You ever had selfish ambition? (laughs) Yeah, I think I've had that. Selfish ambition, yep, yep, I'm good at that one. I won't even go into drunkenness and other things. Um, The problem is, so if I've struggled with any of that, does that mean I will not inherit the kingdom of God? Um, Do I fight the flesh or try to be filled with the Spirit? Let's back up a little bit. So if you're filled with the Spirit, you won't struggle with the flesh as much. We... We tend to focus on fighting the flesh. We all have the flesh, and, and so we're clear what the flesh is. It's this man-made desires that I'm just, we all have a sinful nature. Uh, I have desires. Every four hours, my body says I need to eat. Maybe five hours. I don't know. I'm getting hungry right now just thinking about it. But we have just these desires that are, they're just in us because we're human. Um, there are things uh, that your mind is going to think about because of things you've seen. or what, There's just these battles, the flesh, the, the physical nature of being a human being. We're going to have these desires. They're not all bad. Some of them are bad. Uh, but we try, the bad ones, we're like, I'm going to fight, fight, fight against the bad things. And I, I'm, going to, I'm going to defeat whatever the blank, fill in the blank, whatever it is that I know is wrong. God would not want me to do that over and over again. So I'm going to fight it. The problem is you try to fight it in your own strength. And if we're honest, we fail. We may win for a while. But how bad or bad habits easily come back to you, right? Be careful when you say I've conquered whatever it is because uh, we're all prone to stumble in many ways, it says in James. So I think a challenge for us is instead of fighting in our flesh and trying to fight in my own strength, Maybe we should focus on being filled with the Spirit of God, the Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit that's in me, 
that maybe he can defeat that. And he can change me from the inside out, my desires, because these flesh desires, I'm going to wrestle. I mean, Paul himself says, I know what I should do, and I don't do that. And I know what I shouldn't do, and I do that. Paul, the greatest missionary of all mankind, struggled with his own flesh. So all of us are going to struggle with that. My point is, maybe focus on walking by the Spirit. Do the things, instead of all the bad habits, any bad habit you have, replace it with a good habit. If you can't think of a good habit, I'm sure uh, reading God's Word daily would be a great habit to do. But if you're going to try to start in the morning, if you're not a morning person, it could be tough to do. Or if you're going to do it last at night, that's when all your preschool kids are going to come and want to get in bed with you. So just know it's a spiritual battle out there, whatever new habit you're trying to do. But realize that the things we're trying to overcome, we're going to have these struggles with the flesh the rest of this life. Okay? But the good news is Christ overcame all of that. And he is the one that can save us, and his spirit that indwells in me can help me uh, with the things where I struggle daily. Colossians 3 says, seek, seek the things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Instead of focusing on all the things that I'm doing wrong, focus on Christ and uh, seek his kingdom above everything else. Focus that you need to be filled with the spirit and not focus on the flesh like we tend to do all the time. So, that, and then it goes to 1924. He lists out the works of the flesh, uh, and, uh, and then he ends it with, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God if you struggle with that. So, if I struggle with any of those things, does that mean I can't be a Christian? Okay. Um, does that mean I don't have a shot to get, enter the kingdom of God? It's a tough verse. I don't believe that's what it means. I don't believe Paul was saying that. So, I think there are two ways to sin, okay? Two ways to sin. You can sin, and I don't care about my sin. I am totally okay with my sin, whatever it is. And there are plenty of lost people that that is the case. They don't even know that they're sinning. They're just living in their flesh. They're just living for themselves, and they're just living life because... They have no view of an afterlife. There's nothing else after this life, so get all the toys, get all the things you can while you got it, while the going's good. That's one way to sin. The other way to sin is I struggle with that sin. That's what I'm trying to describe when you battling the flesh, and Paul himself said I battle. And we're going to struggle with sin until we die. It's going to be a, an ongoing battle. Everyone will struggle with sin. Now, the thing I struggle with may be totally different than what you struggle with. Or we may have some similarities. I don't know. Uh, but there are some things, some sins out there that I don't have a struggle with at all. I'm not going to list them all. I'm not going to list all my sins right now. Uh, but uh, you'll have to ask Christy later for my sins. I'm just joking. Um, so I don't care about my sins or I am struggling to try to honor God with my life. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, you put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did. The Holy Spirit enters your, your life, your soul. He's walking with you. The Holy Spirit then will convict you. You will be unsettled. That word of unsettled has a new meaning now that I've experienced the earthquake from two weeks, two nights ago. I was very unsettled in my spirit about that. I thought an 18-wheeler truck came through my house. That's why I opened the doors and was looking, but nothing to be found. Anyhow, unsettled. We should not be comfortable with our sin. The Holy Spirit, if it's inside of us, he's going to unsettle us about that. And if that happens, 
That's good. That means you are a Christ follower. You will inherit inherit the kingdom of God. You're struggling with your sin. You're dealing with it. uh, But you put your faith and trust in Christ. For a Christian, when, when we sin, three things happen. First, uh, the Holy Spirit inside of us, because we're a Christian, we, we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, Holy Spirit's inside, he's going to convict us of our sin. That's the first thing that, that happens. If, if at that point we say, yep, I sin, I need to repent, then he gives us forgiveness. The blood, the, the blood of Christ was shed for my sin. He will forgive me for my sin. I do a one repentance, a 180 degree to turn. I really strive. But then, you know, I may do that sin again. Because I'm weak. The flesh is weak. But that's the first natural thing is it convicts you and we repent. The second thing is if he convicts us and we're okay with it. I like my sin. And uh, God, I'm going to give you 95% of me, but that other 5% I'm keeping for myself because I really like that, whatever it is. Uh, so whatever that 5% is, is an idol slash uh, that's your little God, that's, that's a problem. Because God says, give me all of your heart, your, whole, your, your mind, your soul, your everything. He doesn't want, he wants 95% of it. He wants 100% of us. So if we don't repent of our sin, the Bible teaches that God will discipline you. He disciplines those he loves. He will chasten you. Um, in 1 Corinthians, you know, they, they were, the Lord's Supper, they were, having a huge potluck dinner and making a whole, whole event, getting drunk at it, and, and people got sick because they were mistreating the Lord's Supper. There are some physical consequences that happened. That was God disciplining them. Uh, I'm not saying if you're physically sick, then God's disciplining you. I'm not saying that. But in that scenario, it was true. Uh, so God convicts. If I do nothing, if I don't repent, then he will discipline. And if that doesn't work... Uh, that that's not good. God may choose to take you home. In very rare cases, most cases, it's one or two. But in very rare cases, a third thing happens. Um, Ananias, Sapphiria, they were called home. You look at that. I told you not to look at that. That was the wrong people. They were giving. They were stealing money and things like that. Uh, And he brought them home. So, I think we have to think that way when we're thinking this verse. You shall not inherit the kingdom of, of God. I think if you're a believer, uh, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did. You're still struggling with sin, but when he convicts, the Holy Spirit convicts. I repent of it. I, I'm, I'm trying to battle the flesh. I'm trying to live in the Spirit and, and live for you. But it's an ongoing battle. And if that's the case and that describes you, then I think you're a Christian. You're fine. Uh, you will inherit the kingdom of God. But the key is you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God based on what you do or don't do. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It's all based on Jesus Christ and what he did and the, tr- the faith and trust I put in him. Uh, he lists the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, it, it, it's important to know that it is singular. Fruit can be plural or singular, but in this case, in the Greek, it actually is singular. So, we have all of those fruit if we're a child of God. Some of them we show more than other, but we have them. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You live by the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the characteristics that should be coming out of you. 
You live by the other, you live by the flesh, and then those are the things that are coming out of you. Against such things, uh, there is no law. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, which implies a daily, I'm walking with my Lord and Savior. How do you walk with God? Active in His church. Preaching to the choir, but actively like in person in the church. There's a new uh, big fad that this whole online churching thing going on, right? Y'all ever heard of COVID? Well, it was a big thing. I think it's still going on. Um, Well, some people think it's over, but whatever. Uh, To actively be present in the church, there's a lot of benefits to be in person. I know we did that for a time, and church is trying to navigate this thing that's never happened and that I can never remember that we shut everything down. I think some people might have overreacted, but that's neither here nor there. But be present in your church if you can. Um, because you saying that encouraging word to somebody that you don't even know that they were at their lowest of lows and you just saying hi to them gave them hope to go the next week to battle their flesh and to live for God. We don't know the impact of being in person has on people, but it, it has, and for us as well, to be encouraged and to to hear in person uh, from your pastor, your class teacher. Uh, there's something about that. In a day and age that everything is online, you can hear today, you can hear every pastor you ever wanted to hear through a podcast or through a YouTube video or through a whatever. Um, but be careful of that. We live in a day and age where it's easy to give a great sermon and people that live thousands of miles away think of, they put this person up on a pedestal because they can deliver a great 30-minute talk or sermon. But you don't know what that person is like every day, how he lives his life. Which is why I think Paul talks a lot about holding your leaders, your elders accountable, honoring them, of course, but we're supposed to live life together. There's supposed to be this idea of, I know some of your struggles and you know some of mine and we're supposed to encourage each other. There's a relationship supposed to be happening between the pastor and the members. And if you're online, you're missing that whole relationship. Uh, so that's my two cents. wasn't in my notes, but uh, in person, in a local church, I think is where Paul, I think, would also want us to be there as well. Um, so I think I covered that. So then he ends his, his letter. He's very much against adding anything to the gospel, to be works-oriented, to say you have to do all these other things. It's just justification by faith alone. That's it. No other works. If anyone, Jew or Gentile, does that, they're saved. Stop teaching, preaching, anything other than that. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 6 and 8, he goes into this what you reap, what you sow, which is great. Verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting. So reap what you sow, positive and negative. If you reap bad, you get bad. You sow bad. If you reap good, you sow good. Um. Verse 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose.
heart. I just underlined because I read that today, and I'm like, I think a lot of Christians probably have lost some heart. It's been a tough year and a half. But I know this, God's on his throne. God's not surprised by what happened, didn't happen. Uh, God's on his throne. God's working his plan. He saved me. If you put your faith and trust in him, he has saved you. And this world will pass away. I live, I'm a pilgrim passing through. I'm just, uh, I'm just here temporarily. God wants to do things through us, Christ followers, Christians, while we're here, yeah. Going to be a battle to fight the flesh? Yep. I need to walk in the Spirit? Yep. But don't lose heart. We have a hope, and our hope is the King Eternal. He will come back one day, and He will reign. Whether I see that or not, could be tomorrow, could be thousands of years from now, or thousands of years from now. God only knows. But Christians should not be people that, that, that don't have a hope. And we should not be people that are distraught all the time. I'm saved by my Savior. And I wasn't worthy of it, and neither are you, but he saved you. He died for those he loved. He willingly gave his life for sinners. Um, So to sum it all up, he was astonished, blown away, marveled that they would turn away from the gospel, simple gospel message of putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, I didn't even mention that he kind of, Earlier in chapter 2 or 3, he calls out Peter. Peter was hanging with some, some, some Gentiles, and uh, whenever some Jew people showed up, he would then diss the Gentiles and go hang with his Jewish buddies. Uh, and Paul, uh, if you talk the personality, Paul's a lion. He's going to tell you how it is and what he really thinks. And so he went to Peter, and they had a little, uh, you're a hypocrite. You're this way now, so you need to decide which way is right. Is it okay that a Jew hang with Gentiles or not? Okay. Uh, and Paul says, yeah, if, if it's a brother in Christ, then that's your brother. It doesn't matter what nationality he or she is, uh, your brother's in Christ. I think that's an important message even today when, yeah, this is all being recorded. Um, racism, all in the news. This is something I would never, but be careful all the, uh, be careful, okay, there are different ethnicities, of course. People of different color, people of different backgrounds. We all have that. But we live in a day and age that wants to divide everybody. You go to your people that are like you. And everyone else, is, there's the oppressees and the oppressors. Okay? That narrative is a mess, just so you know. It's not biblical. We are all sinners. We all come equally to the throne of God, the judgment seat of God. We all come as sinners. Every one of us. It doesn't matter what color we are, Jew, Gentile, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. It doesn't matter. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Then why don't we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ that way? We're all saved by the same Christ. Why can't we come together instead of separating? Because what... The, the world or the media, the, they want to separate everybody in their camps. I don't think that's biblical. We shouldn't live that way. One day when we're united in heaven, all sorts of <laughs> red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Uh, it's not going to matter. Not in my notes. I need to get back to my notes. Um, he ends it in verse 17. So he says all that stuff. 
Um, he doesn't want them to add to the gospel. Judaizers, no more of that. No more of that. It says in verse 16 of chapter 6, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Paul would have just stayed with all the Jewish customs of the day and then stayed with all the Old Testament, he would have just gone up the ladder even more and more and he would, everyone, all the Jews would have loved him. But because he had this experience with Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road, it changed his life. It opened his eyes that he's never going to measure up with the law. He's always going to fall short. He needs the grace of Jesus Christ. He needs the shed blood of Christ to pay the price for his sin. And then he, he changed from legalism to grace. Because of that, he was martyred. Jesus Christ had a lot of marks on him. They beat him. They whipped him. And they crucified him on a tree. Because his message was countercultural. <laughs> they did not like his message. Still don't. Paul is saying here, I, I have the marks. And who's Mark? He doesn't have the Jewish marks. He has the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is one of his earliest letters. You know, in some of the other letters, I've been shipwrecked this many times. I've been beaten and thrown in this prison. I've been, what I mean, he's up in the ears. You get, up, you get all that. But even here early on, he's, he's realizing that my Savior saved me and whatever comes to me in this life because of what I preach and what I do and who I share, what God wants me to share with, whatever comes what, what may, I'm going to stand with my Savior, Jesus Christ. I think that's a great reminder for all of us because we live in a day and age where we all want to be comfortable. And anything that makes me uncomfortable, I don't want to do that. Well, the more you read the scriptures and you read about the apostles or even the Old Testament, how many of the Christ, the Christians, how many of them uh, were persecuted a lot? I do believe the day is coming in America where Christians will be persecuted. It's kind of how the nations do. The world is turning away from God, not towards it. Will you stand for Christ? Will I be able to say, whatever comes my way, I want to have the marks of my Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be bold to stand on the word of God. And I'm not going to let anything be added to it or taken away from it. Because souls, people's lives matter. Whether or not they will go to heaven or hell based on what they believe. That is my two cents for tonight. Um, be careful not to add to the gospel message. Don't make it hard for someone to get saved, but also don't water it down. Do you believe you're a sinner? Yes. Do you believe you should go to, uh, that, that someone had to pay for your price? Yes. When you're dealing with kids, you don't ever ask them all yes, no questions because they'll say whatever they want you to hear, what they think you want to hear, right? Um, you want to hear from them. What, what do you think? What do you, try to get them to talk. Easy believism is not what we're going for, but also we don't want to make it so hard for people to get saved that, man, I don't think I, I can't get saved. It's just too hard. Too many things I got to do. Like, I don't think so. If you look according to the scripture, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, 
Uh, come talk to me tonight after out. I'd be happy to share with you. It's, it's fairly simple. The greatest decision you'll ever make. And then for us that are Christ followers, Christians already, be careful um, adding to it. And then are you striving to walk in the Spirit? Are you, are, you, are you just okay to live in the flesh? We shouldn't be living in the flesh. Are we trying to walk by the Spirit? Let the Holy Spirit change us from the inside out. Uh, that the one that was crucified, he's the only one that can overcome sin is Jesus Christ. Are you, are you yielding to his power, the Holy Spirit inside of you, to help you overcome your sins? Or are you trying to do it all on your own? Um, there's just a lot in this great letter. Uh, it's just six small chapters. Um, but Paul had a lot to address to this region of Galatia. So thank you all for being here. Let me close with prayer and then we'll, we'll go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us through Jesus Christ. I thank you that we can be called children of Christ, if we put our faith and trust in you and in you alone. I thank you for that gospel message. I pray that you would uh, forgive us for adding to it or subtracting from your gospel message. You came to save sinners. And uh, I thank you for uh, that you saved me. I thank you for anyone else in here that maybe that hasn't put their faith and trust in you. I pray that you might convict them tonight that they might talk to me or someone else and find out how to do that because it's fairly simple. Um, but then if we have done that, then are we, are we walking in the Spirit? Or are, we, are we fighting the flesh? Are we okay with sin? Are we trying to uh, repent of it to allow you to work through us to overcome those battles? Uh, I pray that we would uh, also just remember how important the local church is to you and here are these churches in Galatia that you wanted to make sure they were standing on the true gospel, not, not anything in addition to that. Um, but I pray that we would know your word so that we could recognize heresy when it comes up. Uh, anything not in your word is, is heresy. It's not, it's not the truth. And there are plenty of other messages trying to be preached out in our world. And that may we be aware of that. But may we live for you and uh, may we be active in your local church And know that our hope is not in ourselves and our works, but our hope is in Jesus Christ, what you have done and will do one day when you return. Thank you for that hope. Pray that you bless each person as we go. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.